2021 is going to be interesting. I think there'll be an interesting motherhood, brotherhood, uh, fatherhood where, you know, you come up with people that, you know, you're playing around the playground and you're like all around the same age of the kid and you're like COVID baby. Yep. COVID baby. I mean, that's what you're going to end up having is, um, you know, you had kids born for a particular period of time. I'm not calling them baby boomers, but COVID babies, you know, that's really what it is. And there's definitely a spike. You said you had Windows, so you must be an IBM guy. Uh, I was thinking about getting a Mac because GarageBand has all of the editing capability that I need to make this a a super awesome Uh self-contained unit. Because right now I'm kind of bouncing between softwares. Jay, what about you? Uh, I'm running on a tower. uh, Okay. IBM or a PC. Um, I I only use PCs. I don't have anything uh, with the fruit. Um, You know, I I recently just got a, a new Surface laptop uh from work and so i'm getting used to that and kind of the new op systems that windows has now it's kind of interesting is it like i went from running on an uh on literally seven like oh seven windows which i literally call vista and now i'm running on this new like surface pro and it's like it it takes a little getting used to the way it's systematically laid out. And I think that's just true by anything that has changed. We are human. We do not like change. We want things always to be the same because we're comfortable in that setting. And these new, these, these new PCs are, they're light. It's lightning fast. It's much, much better, but it is definitely a learning curve to figure out like, your edge and your team and then, you know, internet Explorer. And like, obviously with my, uh, institution it's like everything's on lockdown so it's like i can't download this or grab this or that's why this call cannot be on those computers at all yeah Um, i'm I'm on my county computer at the moment ronan was using our personal laptop to do school so we could have dual monitors hmm. and he spilled a full cup of water onto the keyboard and we actually just had a tech out today to see if we can he can fix it needs new motherboard. It's going to run us about 800 bucks to fix this computer, but it's about a thousand dollars to replace the new one. So, uh, yeah. children. Yeah, yeah. You're, uh, up a Creek with it without a paddle on that one. You just yeah. might as well get a new one. I so mean, that's how technology to, is these days. Like it's like you break an Apple watch makes mm-hmm. no sense to go and get the glass fixed on the watch. Cause for 50 more bucks, you get a brand new one. Like what's the point? Yeah. Just, just an example. But we only bought that computer like four months ago, so there isn't really a new version for us to get. <laughs> well, then um hopefully you got a warranty, maybe? Costco. Yeah. Yeah, you they, you're out of 90 days, man. <laughs> Even worse. Exactly. <laughs> oh my no, God. We're just gonna fix it and call it a day. But you really yeah. have to be careful with children around technology. Yeah. But that's are, they, are kids that destructive? Advice. So like, have you found that, I mean, obviously like 
their damn toys are 10 times more cost more. I mean, can you imagine we were kids and you had like your, your, your transformer in front of you and you'd like take it. And if you threw it at your friend across the street, you'd knock the kid out cold. Cause I think it was made out of metal, no plastic. Now you got <laughs> toys and all these electronic stuff. And it's like, well, one, it's made out of plastic. You throw it at them and just bounce right off. It's not a big deal. But dude, like you look at like the cost of, of entertaining children damn is it expensive like it's learning this or it's got you know this soothing sound i don't know it, it's it's crazy it's just crazy to me uh you yeah, don't that's need a, a bottle racket. warmer yeah don't get a bottle warmer it's a waste yeah. of money i heard all, that all of that shit is a racket the kid will have more fun with the box yeah it's true right think about the, <laughs> think about the kid as a cat what would a cat enjoy and that's what a kid would enjoy that's not bad. That's why I don't hang out with goats anymore. <laughs> yeah, okay. We didn't touch on that last time. You got to tell the goat story. Which goat story? The three-legged goat in Haiti. I just cut last episode. <laughs> oh, yeah. The bad part is there's multiple goat stories. The, yeah, the three-legged goat. That thing was Start surprising. At the beginning, <laughs> and when you come to the end, stop. So we were... Uh, oh, so you showed off your T-shirts earlier. I'm wearing my Blue Collar Missions shirt. This oh, is, good uh, for you. Nice. My, my nonprofit uh, that we, we have going. It's been pretty quiet since COVID happened because, frankly, there's nowhere that we can go that we can do any work safely. Um, but when we get going again, I would love to uh, go to Haiti with both of you and show you how the Haitians live and I do some work. Um, Shout out to the good works. You know, there's also a blue collar mission up in Colorado. Yeah, yeah, there, okay. there's another blue collar mission. So I, I found them actually. I saw a guy riding a motorcycle with blue collar missions on his back right after we registered this organization as a nonprofit. And I was thief. like, wait a minute, <laughs> who's this guy? My idea. Yeah, but it, it um, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing. You get a different perspective on the world when you're dealing with people who have nothing and appreciate the little things. You know, you've seen it. Uh, on your trip around the world, you know, but it, it's, you know, they, they, they get, they're over the world. If you give them a pair of flip flops, just to talk to them, hold yeah. a conversation, like yeah, to, to show interest. That is something that they don't get. And I think the truth is, is that like a conversation can be worth a lot more than, than, than something is too. Cause it's a given it's a piece of worth. It's a, it's a conversation so that they can actually learn you culture as well as language and you yep. know, so they can carry that kind of teachings to the future. It's it's all positive, and so it's always just taking the time to do so and not just brush it aside. Most amazing experience I've ever had in my life was going over to Haiti and working. You know, and and, and you know, it's not the type of work where you go over with a church group and you you paint the side of a building and you go and you hang out with some orphans and you feel good about yourself and you go home the next day. It's, we were actually there and we were doing dangerous work to improve the lives of the people who live there on a daily basis after we left. In country is very the rewarding. Same? Yeah, in country. You know, traveling through markets where people look at you with hate and disgust because you have a different color of skin. You know, it gave me a different perspective on what minorities must deal with here in the United States as you know, 10% of the population is African-American and they travel through the streets and get looked at differently because of the color of their skin. So and their passports say black. Yeah. That was something I learned in, in school is even if you have white skin, if you're from Haiti, your Haitian passport says you are black. Mm -hmm. And that is by yeah. rule. 
Yeah, and it's left over from the French. That's Asian from the French. Yeah, that's uh, passport. Hessian passports list race as black, regardless of your skin color. Haiti is still paying off the Haitian Revolution from 1788 to the French, which is dumb. To this day, France, I think, has enough money that they could just be like, "All right, you're forgiven." And Haiti's still paying it off. And that's one of the reasons why Haiti is so poor. Anyway, so we're there and we're at a, um, a vocational school, which they have several different education paths within the school itself. One, you know, uh, seamstress work, barber school, bakery, simple jobs like that, right? Where somebody can, they can go and they can get a job and they can work. Blue collar minus the factory, right? Uh, a trade, if you will. Everywhere in Haiti also has farm animals. And so we are walking around this property and we come across the goats and all of a sudden there is a goat who is very aggressive and it's angry. You can tell by his thing's eyes that it's filled with hatred. And then the next thing you notice it has three legs and it starts chasing us. And you think to try to get away from it. Well, I'm just going to, you know, change direction here real quick. That thing changes direction before you could. It was incredibly nimble. It was vicious. It was a vicious three legged goat. But eventually we got away. We hid in the shed. <laughs> Is it gone? Is the goat gone? Is the coast clear out there? It was it was pretty brutal. Can't trust that three-legged goat. No. No. And I'm curious what happened to the other leg. I, I I have eaten street goat, and I wonder if maybe you know that leg got lopped off and put in somebody's stew. And you mm. look like somebody. That's right. You can imagine the, the goatees conversation, right? Hey, that's that guy. Yeah, I never oh, saw any things like that in India. I, I, I never came across that kind of, you know, I think it was the, the truth was, I think you got sick and tired of the, the monkeys because they're so hostile and they're such thieves. And that's a lot in Thailand. But then also, you know, they got a lot bigger when you're in India and they're just, they're all over the place. Um, the cows in the streets don't really bother you. And they'll kick your ass. Yeah, they're just. They're shit bags, bro. Like they're just yeah. absolute ratty shit bags. That's what they are. They're they're not cute. They're not cuddly. They're shit bags. Oh, it was just bad. But um, <laughs> I guess the cows that roam the streets in India are kind of some aggressive, some aren't. It's kind of weird. They're sacred. What do they have to be aggressive about? Cows, man. All I know is I could see that's a hamburger right there. Don't tell an yeah. Indian that though. Interesting perspective. Oh, of course not. No. How did you broach that conversation? What? You don't. The answer is, is cows are awesome. Great. Moving on. I was so happy when I finally got to like um, Nairobi and I got a burger. I was like, oh, this is heaven. Nobody ever asked you about it. They never said, how could you, how could you eat cow? They are sacred animals. And you said, well, it's sacred is delicious. Yeah, no, so it's, uh, it's an interesting culture in India. You, yeah. Believe me, I was living on potato chips and cookies. I didn't give a crap. Let's pivot over to one of the other topics that we didn't get in the last episode. Three top expectations for 2021. Oh, goodness. Whoa. That one's from you. Three top three three Jenna predictions Mines. for 2021. Yeah. That's just top expectations for 2021. Because obviously this year's the throwaway. 2020 is abjectly useless. So 2021 sees uh at least at the moment a new president for the United States as of this recording. Uh we're um, probably gonna ditch the virus at some point. In the spring or probably Maybe. by June or July. That's my, I think, I think what, what you see is that cases will go up, continue to rise. We'll hit 200,000 in a daily case um, in the winter. Uh, but what will be found is, as we've seen, is treatments will improve. 
death rates will go down. They'll still be kind of on par. You'll have higher infection, same death count, less death rate. And what you also see is, and this is, this is, I think, I think one of the most interesting predictions about this, and I don't know what your thoughts are, is I always think, you know, if you want to look at the markets or the movement and so forth is, is where do they go? I can't tell you how many people I've spoken to that think as soon as you get a Democrat in office, the whole world's going to end and businesses are all going to fold and it's going to be the worst thing ever. And the economies are all going to crash and my 401k is going to be put in the trash. And then you have the other side of it being like, you know what? Markets do market things. It makes no difference in my book, like you, you're going to have a sense of checking in the economy and what's going to happen is unemployment's going to change. And that's, you know, I think once COVID gets out, you're going to see a bustling amount of capital wanting to be spent as people want to travel and move and so forth. So I would say that in my prediction on kind of banking on a vaccine or whatnot coming into the summer of next year, you'll have a pretty robust economy um, that'll be inherent and it'll be a little bit of a grind to get out of, out of the rut as, you know, companies kind of come back online. It's a question of what survives in the winter. Um, there could be yeah. a lot more carnage. That's, I guess, my dreary way to look at it. I don't know. I, I have some thoughts on that and uh, I have received pushback on this from members of my own family. I don't think that politics has a very strong impact on the mid to long-term view of the market anyway. I think what businesses want in general is businesses want stability because they have to budget every year. They have the same seasonal cycles based on the industry that they're in. And what they like mm -hmm. is boring predictability. And so if you bring in a Democrat who, at least in terms of going back, I would say 120 years, I was doing a back of the envelope calculation on this. If you go back to the turn of the last century, Minus Woodrow Wilson. Every time there's a crisis, a Democratic president gets elected. Yeah. And I don't know why that is. Uh, I don't understand what makes the United States populace run to a Democratic president during these times of turmoil, other than when you start to crest into the sense of a bubble or a, a nice elevated economic scale, people realize that things are coming in. They want to keep it. They go with the rhetoric of the Republican Party, and then like it is not, the crash happens, and they go, all right, well, let's go running back to a to a Democrat. But in in terms of what we're seeing in 2021 as a prediction, I think that a guy that's been in Congress for 37 years, who's kind of got that guffaw smile to him, he's a known quantity. So if you're in business and you're worried about what the stakeholder value is for the next two or three quarters of your company, and you want to be able to make accurate predictions of the stability of the business, you want a boring president. You want somebody mm -hmm. that doesn't legislate by tweet. You want somebody that really doesn't have a lot going on because then that gives you this ability to plan and forecast out so far. Now, of course, once you have that stability, they're going to want lower taxes, less regulation, things that will make them money in the long term. But in the short term, what they're going to look for is stability. So in terms of three months from now, the next president better figure out how to get people off the street and back to work. Because even the concept of protest, whether it's peaceful or not, makes businesses nervous. Because the next thing you know, a brick comes out of the crowd and breaks a window and somebody's got to pay for that. So I don't necessarily think that one party or the other 
owns the right to the stock market, just the same as one party doesn't own the right to patriotism, for example. So I, I disagree with the concept of my 401k being high because of the Donald. I think the market is what it is. Demographic trends are what they are. And I think that from monetary policy of the Federal Reserve and some other economic factors and network effects, you were going to have a surge in market activity anyway. Now, yeah. with um, something that you were talking about, Jay, last time we talked is earnings balance sheets are going to be a bit lopsided because you no longer have the weight of previous taxes. But it's kind of like what you said, within one or two cycles, that's all going to disappear and they're going to go back to the way things <clears throat> were. So at some point, you're back to futures speculation. So the market is the market, and I don't think it matters. It'll as balance as itself. And you got four. You got, you got a president that comes in for four years. Yeah, I, don't, I don't think it matters. I don't. I don't. Who, whoever's in office is not going to influence the market in the long term. So you're not going to push through drastic measures that are going to change things that you won't be able to see coming. There are no surprises in the long term effects of the market. It's only policy. The only problem is, is policy dictates what what you can and what you can't do. And so I think that's what we've seen in the last four years is there's been policy that has done deregulation. It's done tax uh, reform. And what that has been is very pro-business. And so I'm not saying get rid of those things. But what I am saying is I think there's an imbalance a little bit and there's going to be a kind of going back a little bit the other way. I don't know if the impact is going to be so severe that you're going to see less pro-business. I think you I think no matter how you look at it, there's a there's a factor out there we don't even know. And that's what the next stimulus bill will be and, and how, you, to your point, to keeping people in houses. Well, it's, the economy is broader than just that of the United States. It, it's a, Everything's intertwined. We go as China goes at, at this point. And there's no amount of regulation or deregulation in the United States that is going to control what it is that China does or their output, right? Uh, there's, I can actually make the argument that deregulation is bad long-term for the economy, just like with a child. If you don't put some sort of structure around what that child can do, that child's going to run rampant and eventually ruin itself. The same thing is with the economy. The, the concept that an economy is self-regulating is a farce. Eventually, a company becomes too big to be regulated. Look at, and that's where antitrust comes in, but look at Amazon. There is no level of regulation that could possibly be put on Amazon at this point in time to keep Amazon from doing what Amazon wants to do. Same with Microsoft, same with several other companies who are just purely that big. Uh, the banking industry, there are a handful of banks that are simply bigger than the rest. It's, uh, it's a misnomer to talk about regulation in broad terms because you want to provide some level of, you know, even a playing field. I mean, even the octagon has a boundary. So you yeah. need to... You need to contain for-profit companies because their number one charge is growth. And left unchecked, they will grow to the point of unsustainability. Now, uh, I would have pointed to something the likes of Google or even Facebook in terms of what happens when a company has unchecked growth. Amazon has negative effects in terms of economic stability but there is still benefit to the consumer. Mm -hmm. You don't hear stories of people using Amazon and then killing themselves. Whereas you have some very distinct problems with Facebook and how people emotionally engage with that product that I think is a little bit more damaging to the Commonwealth in terms of at some point, what's good for the stakeholders is not good for society writ large. 
And that's the nature of an organization concerned with growth. You know, most of these guys are probably going to play nice and they'll kowtow to whoever's in in office and they'll figure out ways to avoid scrutiny. But when it comes down to it, in terms of antitrust, there's nothing wrong with being a monopoly. I mean, there's nothing illegal about it. If you actually yes, look is. up the, the letter you of the law, monopoly. you can't abuse monopoly power. But there is nothing that says a monopoly is illegal by definition. Oh, is, if you're major league baseball, it's fine. If you're... Yeah. If you control the industry, it is actually illegal. That's why antitrust laws are there and organizations so it's, can be it's broken abuse, up. Oil. Right. It's, it's abuse of that position to the harm of the Commonwealth or to the consumer. So Amazon, you could make an argument as a monopoly. The NFL is a monopoly. Mm-hmm. But until you get to the point of where that power is used to manipulate markets and there's some kind of element of malfeasance involved in the Sherman Antitrust Act, but being a monopoly by itself yeah. is not illegal. It's what you do with that monopoly power. So well, you've got a really good case against where monopolies make sense. Right? Look at the power company. It doesn't necessarily make sense to have multiple power companies in the same area trying to install their own power lines. Right. Yeah, but so, they have, but they're regulated. You know, so it's public utilities. I would like a little more competition. It's like insurance like companies. To- I would look at, I would look at it this way. Look at an insurance company. It's, it's still regulated too. And there's multiple insurance companies that are out there, but they're regulated in what they can charge and, and so forth for, you know, premiums and underwritings and so forth. So yeah, but with insurance companies, you don't have the physical infrastructure that you have to have with running cables everywhere. You just have paper. Right. You You just have have paper. So it's, it's, it's different, right? So in most cities, you end up with one or two different power companies. You end up with one or two cable companies, um, and then, of course, you have DirecTV, who is, is satellite-based, and a couple others that are satellite-based. Dish. Dish. Um, but for the most part, from a utility perspective, utilities are a monopoly, monopoly that are accepted because of convenience and rationality. It, yeah. it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to have multiple power plants, to have one power plant. And that company is regulated and their, their pricing is regulated and they can't gouge, Mm -hmm. but you don't have those same regulations on different industries. So one of the issues with Amazon right now is they have such a purchasing power that they have the ability to set prices on a broader scale and they can, they have the ability to put local business out of business. Um, They have started paying local sales tax, which is a good thing from the municipality perspective, but there's no way that a mom and pop shop can compete with the purchasing power of somebody like Amazon. So as Amazon continues to grow, it actually becomes dangerous for the economy because eventually Amazon is capable of setting the price Mm-hmm. And, that's, and that's they will where, continue to exhibit anti-competitive behavior, which is the bad yes. part. If you own the rails right. and you compete on the rails, that is an abusive monopoly position. Right. And, that's and so ahead. eventually it, it's a problem. And I think we're going to see that. You talk about 2021. I, I think we're going to start to see that um, probably 
pick up pace over the course of the next decade, not necessarily in 2021. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things we were talking about when I was on city council was the decline of big box stores, JC Penney's going out of business, Sears, right? What are we going to do with all of these giant buildings whose sole purpose was to display clothing or other goods? You know, what's going to turn, you know, what's going to happen with those facilities. And so I, I think we're going to, over the next decade, start to see a transition there uh, with how commercial property is uh, developed and redeveloped. But as far as 2021, COVID's not stopping January 1st. No. Um, we, we, I just got off a call last night. And we are at 900 cases a day. And we're at a point where we should have been shut down to a lockdown, you know, stay at home orders three weeks ago. But the reason the governor didn't do it is because they would have been accused of voter fraud with the election. So, um, is that, in, is in that the reason? Cause it, it's crazy when you consider you have almost 200, you, know, you have like what, 120,000 cases a day. And yet like we shut this shit down big time in March. And now you yep. look at it today, you're like, we're getting like massive amount of cases. And yet, like, literally, kids are going back to school. Like, they're talking about having fans in the stands for the NBA season starting in, in December. Like, all of these things. And I'm like, have we all just got amnesia all of a sudden and don't remember the last six months? Are you kidding me right now? People are, Pandemic, are it's COVID uh, exhaustion. Concerned People are tired yeah, right. yeah. And they, I, I you just, know, because of that, people are willing to go do things that they shouldn't be doing. And look at New uh, Zealand. What point, what's, what's the tipping point? Like, I guess if I just had to give you one prediction right now, what is the tipping point? I mean, are we looking at like Thanksgiving? All of a sudden families all get together because they just don't have that fatigue and I'm, I want my turkey and my stuffing. And then you got December and Christmas. Like what becomes the tipping point that people are just like, it overwhelms the the hospitals you know, the cases are so big that you can't, you know, the eating inside because it's too cold. Like, I just, I guess, like, where is the. I, like, I think you'll get back to overcapacity and then you'll end up with, um, you know, those cold storage containers of bodies in them in New York. That It's pendulum. I think at, at some point. Pendulum I think, swing. Yeah. I mean, the pen, yeah, I mean, the pendulum has to swing. You'll get to some point, I think, where people will start to realize that. The ride isn't over yet. So I'm hmm. wondering if that's indicative of what's going to happen. Are people finally realizing, you know, you go through Aristotle's five stages of death, right? Denial, anger, pain. Yes. Like, I think you're what Trump's going getting to, to right the now. point of where it's like, all right, fuck it. This virus is here to stay. Yeah. So maybe you're getting to that level of acceptance where people are just going to go, yeah, all right, I, I won't. I won't, I won't see my family this year. We had planned a trip to go back and see my mom. I haven't seen my mom in a year because of COVID. I haven't seen the rest of my family in a year. And we had planned a trip to go back. And with the rising cases in the county, we've I, I called my mom and said, I'm sorry, I care more about you. I want you alive than dead. You know, I'm going to have to miss you for Thanksgiving. Yeah. Same, same, same story for me. Not... I mean, obviously, my story is a little bit isolated in the sense that we are isolated because we'll do whatever we can to stay at home and not do as little as possible in contacting. Protect so. the baby, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. Next topic, sir. 
I have the advertisement that I sent you guys the other day on election night. Uh, the local news said was oh. Yelp, Yelp searches or local Google searches yeah. for a liquor store were through the roof election night. And this is somewhat of a common theme with the birth of this podcast is alcohol sales are up. <laughs> depending on the report that you see between 30 and 50%. I had a discussion with uh, Pun and Leon regarding whether or not the golden age of alcohol is dead. Our, all three of us, our first initial reaction was, wait a second, I've drank a lot more personally. So what do you mean the golden age of alcohol? And what the economist was prognosticating was the idea of going out to a bar and getting a drink in a social setting may be effectively dead. If you assume that after a certain amount of weeks, you accustom yourself to a new habit, you permanently change the way you do things. At some point, you're not going to do things the way you used to. I mean, I, we've gotten used to the idea of not going out to a restaurant. It's like, all right, we're just, we're going to get takeout. Yeah. What I'm curious to know with regards to that article is if kids are moving on to other drugs like marijuana, Portland decriminalized everything. Marijuana is not a drug. Um, yeah. What are you talking about? You suck boo for this coke? man. <laughs> uh, they just passed Prop 207 in Arizona. So it's going to be decriminalized and legalized here. I think New Jersey just past it as well. So what you it's find awful. is kids are finding alternatives for mind altering experiences. But then there's another entire cohort of the new generation coming in that doesn't want any alcohol at all. Mm -hmm. There are virgin cocktail parties of kids that just want to have the experience of a little brown without the bite. Now, I don't know how I feel about that. I have kind of mixed feelings about virgin brown, but that seems to be a thing. But what I loved about the, the screenshot that I sent you guys is there are still some primal needs going back to old people in the nursing home we talked about in the last episode, people are going to satisfy those urges. So is 2021 going to find more 1977 New York blackout babies? Is 2021 going to see a boost in alcohol sales? I think consumption to see these uh, urges satisfied as a part of the production. Well, I guess I would break it down simply in that I think maybe some ways people are consuming the same amount of alcohol as they were, call it last year than they were this year. It's just where they're consuming it is, has changed, you know, to you allude to where, you know, you go with your friends to go to the bar after or whatever it is. If you think about the restaurants and the amount of lost liquor sales that are at restaurants, it's, it's quite staggering. You know, the bars where college kids would go, those aren't really open anymore. If they are, it's not nearly the same, but the house party maybe in college is still around or there's still a, a fair bit about as we have we've seen with the alcohol sales on what we call um, off premise yeah. sales, it's on premise sales is what's really, really struggling. And so, you know, it's just your sales channel has shifted as well as if you want to look at innovation in the sense of commerce has changed with e-commerce sales for alcohol, that's completely changed. Bevmo just today bought a online I don't know what it was. It was just, it, it came across, but Bevmo made a purchase today for an online e-commerce, you know, selling ability, you know. That is fabulous because their website sucks. It's mm -hmm. awful. Like it's literally the most garbage. It, you can't, it's terrible. It really is. But I'm just giving as examples where it's you can't tell me Bevmo's hurting right now. Bevmo has to be doing well, but you know, I think they're trying to diversify and find that other sales channel. So are people drinking more? I think so. Are they different drinking it in a different way? 
Absolutely. They're drinking it at home or, you know, not having cocktails and bars. So I guess if you want to talk about your age old question, I don't know if people are having mixed drinks. I don't think people are taking the time to, you know, mix a Manhattan versus just throw the bourbon in a glass, you know, with some ice and just walk away and leave it that way. So maybe that's kind of the profile that's coming. We've been doing this since March. So we're, we're effectively a year into this, right? Another couple of months here and we're a full year in. I think consumer behavior is settled. I drank a shitload during quarantine because there was nothing else to do. You know, that seems to have calmed itself, even though there is still nothing else to do. You still can't go golfing. You still can't go to, you know, go bowling safely or go to the billiards hall or do anything like that. You know, movie theaters or you can rent out a movie theater if you have an extra 300 bucks. You know, doing the same things that you used to do. Um, hopefully in Isla Vista, people are still putting their, uh, you know, kegs on skateboards and wheeling them to their apartments. But I don't necessarily see that happening if schools close down or schools entirely remote. Um, what's his name? Gelb, that landlord with the hair helmet and the Nautica shorts. Yeah, that guy. He's he may not be doing well for himself right now, but who knows? Maybe he ticked up in the porn industry. I, I think that consumer behavior is probably changed quite a bit from what it was before. You're not going out to get that drink. You're making it at home. I don't know if going into 21 is going to be drastically different than it has been from 20 because most of 20 has been the same consumer behavior. But we'll see. We're assuming the habits have changed. Now, there isn't a lot of data from 1918 to see if the last major pandemic did that. But you have to presume at some point. What I'm wondering is, have we forcefully changed habits such that we will move in a new vector and this will just be our way of life and we'll gradually work our way back to the way things were or once not that we're everybody but well i'm speaking just in terms of the americans in this case because there's other countries that have handled this completely differently so it's difficult to get a apples to apples comparison so to speak and what what I was going to say is that not what the, I don't want to interrupt you, but not that Gene and I are, are everybody, but we do our groceries through delivery now. Most of what we do is through delivery. So there's this, you know, there's almost this new delivery industry that is truly busting at the seams. It was there before, obviously, right, with Instacart and some of the other companies. Mm-hmm. But, you know, now the relevance of them has taken on a much more significant role. So we're doing that sort of thing. I know my mom barely goes out. She'll go and hang out with her lady friends in the driveway and they'll talk to each other from cars and that's about it. Or they'll sit on the patio from six feet apart and have a glass of wine and still play Mahjong together. But they're everybody's distant, right? It's, it, liquor delivery is even a thing. The local liquor store doesn't even have a delivery charge anymore. They don't have a minimum anymore. You know, I can call them up and be like, hey, give me a six pack, I'll bring it. I don't have to worry about figuring out, you know, how am I going to get to the $100 minimum, which was never really a problem anyway, to be honest. That was always find disease. Right, absolutely. And I take medication to cover that now, so... I don't even have to worry about that. I can drink all I want. You know, there's behavior as as far as I can tell has changed from a consumer perspective. And I I don't know if it will go back. Uh, One of the things we're looking at from even a motor vehicle servicing perspective, we have put every single one of our services to to, to renew or register your vehicle online. 
and very little walk-in servicing is actually needed. I've stood up a call center that rivals any call center in the entire world. And with the number of people in the phone calls that come into it based on our, our needed volume. And it's, I don't know if we're ever going to get back to the point where it's in-person servicing. Everything now is done online. It's forced the transition to work from home. It's forced the transition to do online purchasing. When I was with Amex, before I, I became county clerk, I was trying to move up in the company and looking at all these different jobs. And I, I worked from home for five years. And I essentially hit a glass ceiling. Every job I looked at, they're like, oh, no, you work from home. Sorry, we can't depend on you. And now that's all they do is work from home. So I think that the model has changed. I don't think that we'll see, you know, going back to big office buildings anytime soon. I think that, you know, warehousing and manufacturing will still be a thing until it can be automated to the point that it's not. But... I don't think that we'll see the, you know, the cubicle world I think is gone. I hear what you're saying. And I'm with you about 90, 95% of it. Well, I you're think wrong that, on the other 1%. You don't know that yet because I haven't described what I'm going to go to. <laughs> In terms of the business world and how the business world functions, there were levels of, uh, we can call it barrier to entry that you were talking about before. When I asked about digital voting, you said, it's not worth it. It's not economically feasible to make the switch now. Why disrupt yeah. ourselves if we don't have to? The pandemic disrupted and accelerated a number of things that were going to happen anyway. In terms of your mom's social distancing with the neighbors, the second she can go back to doing that, I bet you she, that's exactly what she's going to do. You're going to have work from home. You're going to have automated services for these things because not only have they become essential, they've become convenient. So there's kind of a fine line you walk between essential and convenient with regards to a pandemic. But there are still things that the pandemic are causing extreme discomfort for. Like I can't hug my grandparents. I can't talk to my neighbors. I can't send my kid to school. Those are things I think if you, if you were to flip that or, or at least rotate it and look at it from a certain angle, things that have caused convenience under the definition of necessity, I think those are going to stay work from home is convenient. Uh, online shopping is convenient, but the question that I'm getting into is if you look at some of the financial reporting for GM, Ford, Fiat, Chrysler, I'm not talking about Tesla because that's a story stock. Elon is an alien. Mm -hmm. GM posted record gains. Ford paid back a $15 billion loan and then some. And even Fiat Chrysler, whose CEO died this year or last year recently, Sergio Marchioni died recently. They've all seen amazing gains off of an awful second quarter. And I believe it's because at some point people said, all right, I got stimulus money or I got cash that was always on the sidelines. I want that new car. I'm going to go back to the way things were. And we've seen record auto sales from a, a motor vehicle perspective to the point where we're down 20 8% of our staffing due to COVID, whether the person is sick themselves or out because of quarantine. And on top of that, record sales are up by about 70%, at least here. So it, it's the impact has been tremendous. I don't know how long that's sustainable. I, I see it being a short-term thing because how long are people going to be buying new cars? You don't buy a new car every year. You buy a new car every three years, three to four. And 
Um, about the same cycle as a lease, right? But but here's it, my question: Do you have a breakdown of the data of what cars were purchased? I I guess I had um had a lot of insight into this. What was found is while the, even the pandemic was going on, and you know no one was driving, and everyone was supposed to be in lockdown at home, car sales were still up. It was it was like yeah. how is this? Like no one's buying. What it was is there's a lot of fleet cars that were being purchased. Hertz. Um, you know, Penske trucks, Ford trucks, things of that nature that were basically, you know, things that were needed. And in this case, you know, when you think about like, I can't tell you, like, I know Amazon has purchased tremendous amount of trucks as well as then you have, they're they're using Hertz. They're using a lot of the other stuff. So I'm just curious if, if you have the insight into what, what was the nature of those vehicles? I think definitely people have a lot of cash and if they want to go buy a new car, you know, the interest rates are low and that totally makes sense that, you know, there's an opportunity there for sales, but um, I think it's a balance. um, I don't have specifics on the type of vehicle. I can tell you we've seen a spike in, in um, corporate vehicles, commercial vehicles. Yeah. Um, Which is interesting. And I, I, have to wonder if it has to do with taxes at some level, either you spend it or you lose it, right? It's a tax write-off. You purchase the new vehicle, trying to keep themselves afloat. It costs less to buy the vehicle and it does pay the taxes. Um, well, you depreciation that goes up, it's non-cash. It's an investment. Yeah. The CapEx was already there that was needed. You know, yeah. it could be tons of different cycles of, you know, changing out old equipment with new equipment and so forth. I mean, <laughs> and every industry is different, you know, for what the purpose of uh, the vehicles are used for. I would point to something a little more primal. Could be simple. The, the source that I got from NPR regarding this was that people were buying pickup trucks and they were buying nicer cars. They were ditching commuter cars because they're not commuting anymore but they got a little bit of money. They're looking for elevations of comfort. It's the same reason that Zig referred to it earlier. What's going to happen to commercial real estate? If you don't have to go into the office anymore, you're going to start upgrading your home because you're spending a lot more time there and you're looking around and you're thinking to yourself, well, that rug sucks. We got to fix this. If I'm going to be stuck here, I'm going to make it nice. That is my I, wife right now. I want to get a that nice is, chair. I want to get a nice desk. That is, All of my time. That's no, exactly not what's on my happening. house. No, 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 no. Not on my house. But she's extremely busy on exactly what you're saying. Where people are converting rooms into offices, they're moving things around, and they're also right. in home she's a lot decorator. more. And they're they're fixing things in their home. I think a lot of homes are also changing. I guess it's the uh, the concept: is the dining room really useful for dining, or is it better as uh, secondary office or, you know, it's where the gym is now or whatever the case may be. I think it's a reprioritizing the home for its overall function. I'm sitting at the dining room table right now. I mean, look, we have, we have four kids doing homeschool, right? Yes. When I, I work from home, there's five of us. We've had to upgrade the internet, get a new modem, get a new router, um, increase everything. We've had to buy the kids all desks. They didn't need desks before because they didn't have a purpose for them. So there, there's certainly been some furniture changes around here Yeah, and, and repurposing of furniture that that's currently existing. I mean, we still eat at this table. If it was dinner time, I wouldn't be sitting here, but I work from home 50% of the time. So I'm either sitting here at the table, I'm sitting at the, uh, 
kitchen island or I'm in, in my room and in, in a chair, you know, with my laptop on my, my lap. So you don't have an office anymore? No, we sold that house. Yeah. And now that we sold that house, I wish we still had that house. But we don't. There's something nice about having, you know, what was it? Eight bedrooms and five bathrooms. Oof. It was huge, dude. But there's a whole lot of carpet and space to clean. That house so. is so big, I can't imagine cleaning it. So yeah, there's like a certain now. school of thought that says that there are going to be businesses that thrive during this environment, whether it's temporary yes. or not. Yes. You know, the, the economy will have winners and losers accordingly. So what I wonder is, I agree to a certain extent that behaviors have permanently modified themselves. But I wonder if it's safe to say that some behaviors will evolve, not completely go away, just change. Going we to as see humans, we as, we as humans, investments we in the yeah, I mean, it, it, back to that point, technology is going to drive change. Working from home has definitely promoted technology. And so the landscape of commercial real estate is definitely changing. Just as an example, I mean, everyone's leaving San Francisco, Oakland and Berkeley area, and they're all moving to the suburbs because they don't need to be there. And it's just going to continue to be perpetuated. I don't know what happens to all the commercial real estate. I know it's not valued as much. I think you'll see more conversions with it. It'll become in this case, housing. Like, you know, if you have an office building, there's no reason you can't take an office building and turn it into apartments, you know, like repurposing floors is done all the time in commercial real estate space. If you want to make it into something else, you totally can add an investment. Um, so there is that. Um, I don't know what the big box stores, like does the mall exist after all of this? You know, I listen to Scott Galloway. He's, he's my buddy. I got a man crush on him. He put forth a very interesting quandary on this. So you got Simon Properties, who's probably about to declare bankruptcy because they have nothing that they can do with those existing retail outlets. They have gigantic spaces and the kids aren't going out because the kids all want to do it online. So if you got a phone, you can shop because everybody has an automated return policy. Thank you, Zappos. And you no longer have to worry about being stuck with something you bought online. So now you have all of these gigantic repositories of physical space what he thinks, which I think is pretty genius from a certain perspective, is this now becomes the remaining last mile distribution warehousing. Because think of where a shopping yeah. mall is. It's next to a freeway. It's yeah. usually in the middle of a population center. You can build a big distribution warehouse out in Norco or over here on the West 303 on the west side of Phoenix because there's space. Where do you have space in a major metropolitan area. Yeah, it, that's it's going to be packed. that where they're going to tear down and warehouse and they're just going to do concrete tilt up two, three story or something. But it, at the end of the day, though, you still like existing building is going to be torn down. It's not you can't repurpose that space. It's got to go and be replaced with something else. You think so? so you have tremendous amount of land that is pretty much centrally located but you're going to have to tear it down and fit and put something else and it'll be a distribution center. But what if you yeah. have these dynamic high rises in the middle of the city that are no longer equitable for office building space, they have a freight elevator. Some of them have high enough ceilings that you could put racks in. I don't think it's the best use of space. Probably not, but probably not the it, best use, but like prices view and basically boarding up the view just so you can put racks in and against the wall doesn't make any sense. I just think of the SF real estate world. And that's the part I'm very curious about because apparently all of your neighbors moved to Denver and voted in the election. 
Pretty much. I think people are moving places, you know, Californians are moving to Bend in Arizona, as well as maybe people in, you know, Oklahoma are moving to other areas too. So it's, um, I think it's always fascinating right now, currently what's happening as we've been able to slowly see the vote come in, because we definitely know that Democrats voted by mail and Republicans showed up at the polls. So we got to see this nice, long, drawn out kind of instead of a big giant slug about what happened. It seems to me that the popular vote is actually taking on some relevance because as long as you have pockets of the popular vote, you can sway a state and then the sway stays the electoral vote. Because I, I remember seeing something, I think it was Ian Bremmer. He's one of those guys that's on the Sunday morning talk shows. He goes on Fareed Zakari and all those guys. He's a political scientist. He said something like 17 of the last 19 Supreme Court justices were appointed by a party that lost the last six of seven popular votes. And he was saying something about the Supreme Court. But what I latched on to is the Republicans haven't won a popular vote in a long time. No. And yet... That system, you know, there's a reason that politicians that are on the campaign trail only go to swing states because they know that the states is the way that you manipulate the system to win. But what mm-hmm. I really liked about this was in states that have been strongholds, uh, quote unquote, specifically Georgia and Arizona, those are red states, but yet the population density of a major city swings an entire state. Mm-hmm. That's What's what I like is that the population that vote, the popular vote yeah. seems to be weighing on the electoral college the way maybe it should. I think well, that happens because the, the areas like California, which is traditionally very progressive, is too expensive. If, if you look at the areas of the country that are Dems, property values are higher in areas where it's Democrat controlled. The economies mm-hmm. tend to be better in areas where it's Democrat controlled. I think that's and I'm not saying that I'm not, I'm not going to get into that, but what I can tell you is that every single time, at least in modern history, that there's a Republican in office, there's a financial crisis. <laughs> so, <laughs> All right, boys, let's uh, let's finish with our brown for the night. You switched over to wine, Zig. Why is that? Ran out of beer. How do you run out of beer? Travesty. So that's actually a broader answer than you probably expected. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm glad I asked it. Um, I'd been getting a lot of migraines for Mm. better part of a year now. I'd always gotten them, but it'd been getting worse. And I was spending probably 10, 12 days a week with a migraine um, and started to get to the point where the basic medications weren't working any longer. And so we went on this um, elimination diet where we cut out you know, all foods, basically. Um, the first like three days of it was eating um, pureed broccoli and mushroom soup in chicken stock. Good times. You know, that sort of thing. No, it wasn't. There, there wasn't anything good about it. It was awful. I mean, I've, I've dropped, I've been, we've been doing it for about a month, month and a half now, and I've dropped, uh, I think, 12 pounds or so. So it's, you know, helped in that perspective. Um, but I've discovered that I am allergic to nightshade vegetables, um, which includes various forms of peppers. Um, and then I'm also, I cannot have cilantro or coriander, which is the seed for cilantro. 
Yeah. Sacrilege. Um, interesting. So no more salsa. Yeah. No more. No, no more salsa. No more, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I can, I seem Cherry to be able to tolerate uh, spicy you, foods, but I'll never be able to go out for Indian food again. Oh, you know, not without getting a migraine. Poor man. So that, that's and, literally, so you discovered it was, it was dietary more than anything else that you were just yeah, having so a reaction sad. to. Yeah. And I, I haven't had a migraine in six weeks. I believe so. that shit. I believe that 100% the diet will do that. I don't know. I don't know how I'm supposed to live my life without a good, delicious tomato-based pasta sauce, but we'll figure it out. Yeah, that's Wait, you can't have a tomato-based pasta sauce? Wait, what's wrong with the tomatoes? You need to crisp or some it's genetics. A it's a nightshade. So nightshade vegetables are um, um, any vegetable that, that flowers at night. So um, include most peppers. Um, quite a few different potatoes. I can, I can have sweet potatoes, but not, um, golden potatoes or russet potatoes, for example. Oh. Um, I can't have bell peppers, which I'm okay with. I was never a huge fan of bell peppers yeah. to begin with, but you know, I'd eat them. I'm describing um, my diet. I am a nightshade you, person now that you've described all of these things to me. Oh, yeah. Do you get, um, an acid? Do you get like acid reflux? Uh, not often. I would think if you were consuming those, like, cause the peppers and, you know, the yeah. spicy food and different things were, and if you were to come off of those, I was curious to see if you are still getting, you know, basically mm -hmm. heartburn. No, not often, but we went through all the different, you know, various types of food in the last you know, six weeks or so. And nightshades seem to be what bothers me and then I, I can't have coriander um and most of the world actually just calls cilantro coriander it's a yeah. very american thing to call it cilantro or soap yes for the two exactly. percent yeah so I, I i have to stay away from that absolutely gives me a migraine it's almost instant so i I've tried it since. So after being, you know, not having any of this stuff for, you know, four weeks, try it once and it's like an excruciating migraine. And mm. then, you know, and it got to the point where I was starting to have to take injections for it. And then the injections started to not work. And I was going to start looking for, you know, Botox in my head and all sorts of craziness just to get through my day. Um, so we changed our diet and, you know, feeling better. But the good news is I have no problems with gluten, which means I can drink beer and I can drink <laughs> alcohol. So silver thank lining. God for that. I don't give up tomatoes. If but I can I get my beer and my wine. Right. right. <laughs> so, but we've been in general limiting our consumption so last podcast we did i think i had like 15 different types of beer in the beer fridge and it was stacked three or four rows deep and there's plenty of it to go around i'm pretty sure I, I drank like a 12 or 18 pack while we were doing that but this time around you know i ran out of beer at four beers and you switched over to the fridge oh it's the, the beer fridge is still there it's just not as full as it used to be well good for don't you. worry that's what the there. weekends are for. It's kind of crazy. Is it? We never really thought about a lot of these things, and you know, we've all of a sudden started getting older. And so, for me, I get really bad heartburn, and I don't really know what it is that sets it off. It's usually sugars in the morning. So it's like if I have anything of sweets or bread, 
um, yeah, totally ruins my day for the rest of the day. Like it is just absolutely awful. So my, for the last four or five years, my morning is a shake. It's not exciting. Uh, interesting. Pretty, you, pretty you might bland. try, um, getting rid of the basic sugars and going with, um, coconut sugar. See what happens. Well, I mean, talking about more like the sugars being just like the carbohydrate sugars, like that kind of like having a, if I had like a bagel, that is literally going to ruin me for the rest of the day. Like it is just a, it, the day mm-hmm. you might as well just throw in the towel and just yeah, sit I mean, on the couch. Bread used to be one of your hangover cures. Yeah. I can't do that now. Fucking getting old sucks. That's interesting. So shakes. I make good shakes. I actually just bought a Vitamix. It arrives on Monday. Ah, those things are awesome. I'm looking forward to it. All right, gentlemen. Boys, this was fun. It was fun. Love you guys. This place is dead anyway, man.